Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, folks, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris, here with my co-host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast, and if that sounds like something you want to listen to regularly, make sure you go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on uh, Apple, Spotify, and subscribe, because if you subscribe, you won't miss an episode. The A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. Hit it up. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT on Twitter, then at A to Z Sports on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville, and A to Z Sports.com for everything that Zach and I write. We get to start off with something fun, Zach. I have been teasing for a couple of weeks now. We got something special in store for the bowl games coming up. Obviously, Tennessee playing in the uh, Music City Bowl against Purdue on uh, December 30th. I believe is it 3, 3 p.m. Eastern? Yes. Obviously, I do a game day show with Jonathan Crompton. I did it all season long. The Big Orange Game Day Reaction Show. Halftime, post-game, we do that. And for the bowl game... It won't just be halftime, and it won't just be post-game. No! We are going big. Go big or go home for the ball game, baby. The Vols are back in the postseason, and myself and Jonathan Crompton will be doing a full-game live stream where we... It, it is... Basically, going to be what? Let's be honest. We're co- we're copying Peyton and Eli. That's what we're that's what we're doing. It's we're just directly copying Peyton and Eli. But I'm I'm so hyped about this full game live stream where Crompton is going to be able to give you his full breakdown. Now, if you have not listened to our shows, halftime, post game, the Big Orange Game Day Reaction Show uh, during the season, Crompton's analysis of a game. Because obviously he's a former Vol quarterback, 2009 under Lane Kiffin his mo- is where everybody kind of knows him from, although he was there his entire time in college. Um, his breakdowns, and then on, on top of that, he's also a high school football coach now on the side from a, his his primary job. So he's just he's thinking about football 24-7. His breakdown of stuff, especially Josh Heupel's offense, is so fascinating and I cannot suggest it highly enough. Uh, so I'm so hyped to get his breakdown during an entire game. Um, I guess I'm going really long. Let's break this down, Zach. What's up, man? 
I'm just excited to actually be talking about a uh, a Vols bowl game for the first time in a couple of years. I, well, we we kind of got to last year, what, for like a day when we thought Tennessee was going to play in the bowl game, uh, and even at three and seven, and it got canceled because of COVID. I forgot were, about that. What until, bowl were they in? Was It the, It was going to be the Liberty Bowl against West, West Virginia. Virginia. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Somebody tweeted about it today, and I was like, whoa, what yeah. an aberration that was. Yeah, it's a... It, it's funny because I, I guess uh, a year ago yesterday was when Trey Wallace broke the the news about Jeremy Pruitt and the uh, recruiting stuff that had been going on at Tennessee that, that ultimately cost Jeremy Pruitt his job. And uh, it feels like that was years ago. I cannot believe it was only one year ago that, that all of that went down and that, you know, Tennessee almost played in a bowl game. So, yeah, it, it, it's fun to be talking about Tennessee in December practicing got some early enrollees that have already kind of showed up and practice with Tennessee uh, through the bowl game practice. They can't travel with them to Nashville, but they can practice. And uh, it gives us something to talk about here in December, uh, football related. Um, here's the deal with the live stream with myself and Jonathan Crompton. The part that I would say I am the most excited about, we it is sponsored, which, you know, hey, some money's nice. But the main thing is that this sponsorship is with The Pancake Pantry in Nashville, which awesome restaurant, two locations in, in Nashville. And the promotion is this. If Tennessee scores 30 points in this bowl game, everybody gets a free stack of pancakes. When you go in and you tell them the keyword Vols Pancakes, V-O-L-S-P-A-N-C-A-K-E-S, Vols Pancakes, Tell them that at the Pancake Pantry in Nashville, and you're going to get a free stack. And folks, I want pancakes. Do you can, can Tennessee do it? Can Tennessee score 30 in this game, Zach? I mean, I feel like this is automatic free pancakes for everybody. Because, Feels like it. I mean, Tennessee's playing. They've been playing great. The offense is averaging, what, 38 points a game this season so far, I believe. And the number nine scoring offense uh, in the country, this is tailor-made for for Tennessee to deliver some free pancakes to to everybody that comes to Nashville to see the game even if you if you live in Nashville if you're visiting Nashville just gonna be there for the weekend uh this time of year you go for the holidays maybe New Year's it's a good chance to one just go to the pancake pantry in general and get some uh, get some breakfast food before after the game uh 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. They're open. They're going to be there for you. If you're going to the game on Thursday, go get pancakes, walk across the pedestrian bridge to uh, Nissan Stadium and tailgate. Tailgate the rest of the day and you won't be too hungover later because you have those pancakes in your system. It's the perfect plan. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's what you got to do. I mean, 6, 6 a.m. Yeah, you load up up top. I mean, you're, you're popping that first beer by 8 if you get in early. Yeah. You know? And that's that's the perfect game day, I think. So the Pancake Pantry, they're hooking us up. Free pancakes uh, if Tennessee scores. So obviously you can go before the game and load up and then go to the game. And then Tennessee scores 30. And then the next day after you inevitably, you probably overindulge that night in, in Nashville. Go do whatever you do. Uh, the next morning, go get your free stack of pancakes and ward off that hangover. It's the perfect. Yeah, it's part, yeah, and and the great thing here is that where they've opened the new downtown Nashville location, they just opened what December thirteenth, I believe. You're right there around several hotels. There's a good chance right if you're there. coming from out of town that your hotel is going to be right close to uh, the Pancake Pantry in downtown. There's another location if you're not staying in downtown, the Hillsborough Village location. Uh, 
been there for a what long time, but almost 60 years, 60 years right at it. So, you know, they're doing something right. 220 Malloy Street at Third Avenue is the brand new one adjacent to the Hyatt Hotel. So if you're staying at the Hyatt, this Perfect. is not an advertisement for them. Go away. Well, I'm not going to say the name of that hotel anymore. They don't, you know, free advertisements <laughs> on this show. Uh, but if you're staying at that particular hotel, I mean, you're right there. We have, yeah. we just gave you your entire itinerary for the ball game. There you go. We're doing your planning for you here on the Big Arch Podcast. And with that said, we'll discuss that more next week. Next week's episode, obviously, full bowl uh, breakdown. Then next Monday, before today, we got to talk about basketball. Zach, Tennessee was supposed to play Memphis on Saturday. I say supposed to because the game did not happen. This is one of the most ridiculous things that has I've seen occur with uh, just a rivalry in Tennessee sports. This one in particular with Memphis has been totally absurd. This was the cherry on top of the whole thing. You know, you had the Tennessee beats Memphis in Memphis. You have the balled up fists because Tennessee and they were they were jawing at each other. And then Penny says they had, they were out there with balled up fists or whatever he said after that game. Then they come to Knoxville and they beat Tennessee in Knoxville during a down year. And that's annoying. And Penny's, you know, obviously full of himself after that, too. And then this, we get there. Not much has come of it. Memphis having a tough year so far. I think they're like six and four, lost to some pretty bad teams. And they're coming into this game. I'm hyped about it because getting to beat Memphis is so fun. Uh, and I think Tennessee was probably going to win this game no matter who played and how. People are in the stadium, in the arena, in Bridgestone Arena, and they put up on the Jumbotron that this game has been canceled due to COVID protocols within the Memphis program. And I, for, correct me if I am wrong here, Zach. Do you remember a sporting event? Since March 2020, I mean, in March 2020, when things were just popping off and we were like, whoa, what is all of this? And like you were getting to games. I remember I think we were live on a show Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they canceled the jazz basketball game because uh, Rudy Gobert had the COVID fans in the arena. It's about to happen. And they go, whoa, 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 cancel the game. Like, that's the only time I remember that. It's been uh, almost two full years now. I don't remember that happening again. Has it? Am I not? Am I missing a sporting event where we got all the way into the stadium? Media there, fans already filing in, and they called the game. Do, am I? Do you remember another one? No, I really can't. I mean, outside of maybe some MLB games, just because they play every single day, most games we hear about being canceled. You know, a day or two before they're actually supposed to take place. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure how the Memphis testing situation works, but it does seem a little suspect to get your results back just an hour before tip off and and make that decision. That's that's pretty. Odd. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things about this whole situation that don't quite add up. Uh, a lot. It, it's it's certainly. It was surprising when you heard the news on Saturday, and then just the more that we heard coming out of out of the situation, the weirder and crazier it got. And maybe the most bizarre thing was the social media reaction from Memphis fans 
kind of going at Tennessee and accusing Tennessee of backing out of the game and just throwing all kinds of shade at Tennessee. I'm not sure they even – I don't know if they still know what happened exactly because some of those some of those fans – and it's not just fans, some of the Memphis media. Uh, I'm not super familiar with Memphis media uh, members, but those are – no, nah, I wouldn't use the word objective uh, to describe them in any way. The, the reaction for Memphis media and fans is completely absurd. They live in a different reality mm-hmm. from the rest of us. I mean, I, I even saw people from other fan bases being like, what, what, what are you talking about? You know, yeah. actually on Jeff Calkins this morning, guy in Memphis, he's a Memphis media guy. Um, I don't know where, and it doesn't matter. Uh, but he said something to the effect of two things can be true at once. Penny mishandled the COVID situation and Rick Barnes is being petty for not wanting to reschedule the game. And I literally saw, I saw specifically an Alabama fan who was like, I'm an Alabama fan and Rick Barnes is right in this situation. Like outside looking in, Memphis fans just look delusional as they almost always are. They think that their program is very, very special when in fact it is just a floundering mid-major at this point. Um, They've really done nothing of note since Cal Perry made it to the national title uh, way back when. And so uh, here's what we know. Let's start there. Memphis, the night before the game, this is according to reporting from what? Grant Ramey, I believe, mm-hmm. 247 Sports. He reported that there was an alumni party the night before in Nashville, which either... Did he say the entire team attended? Nearly the entire team? I think, well, he overheard somebody from uh, Memphis media uh, there in press row there while they were, because like you said, the media, they, everybody was at the game already. He overheard somebody suggest or say that s- some of the people that had, some of the players that had tested positive were all at that party the night before. Something like that, I believe. Uh, Here, Here's exactly what he said. Grant okay. Ramey. Overheard from Memphis side of Press Row at Bridgestone Arena, quote, all those players were at the party last night. So maybe just all those players that reportedly came up with COVID. Um, Yeah. Then he he followed that up and put it in a little more context. He said this was a Memphis alumni event that the basketball team just appeared at Friday night with others in the Memphis travel party. No indication as to whether the entire team was there or what might have happened. Um. And then, so there is that nice little factoid. The next morning, for some reason, I don't know if these players felt ill the next day. What might have happened there? Memphis has not provided any explanation. I don't think they ever will because I think they completely mishandled the situation and it's embarrassing and they're not going to talk about it. Uh, There's some report. This is what they say. This is what Memphis says. This is Memphis's version is that Testing occurred in the early morning hours. This game was set for 11 a.m. local time. 11 a.m. local time. And Memphis comes out and wants to have us believe that they did testing that morning before ever getting to the arena, which would have had to have occurred at what? 7 a.m.? Something like that? Yeah. Takes a couple hours to get a test back usually when it's even one of those rapid ones. And you don't want them out at shoot-around if you're (laughs) waiting on a test, right? And so... At apparently somewhere in that morning time, players get the tests done and they come up positive. We get all the way again to fans and media already in the stadium and they cancel this game and they have file everybody out. Thankfully, Rick Barnes handles this thing 
nicely. He put on a scrimmage for the fans that were allowed into the building at that point. And then the players all went up into the stands, signed autographs, uh, took pictures with people. They ended up turning it into a cool little thing and, and all credit to Rick Barnes there uh, on that sort of turned a super negative into somewhat of a positive, at least. And that's nice. Uh, but that's like what we know. And then, oh, <laughs> this is the little cherry on top here. You had Amoni Bates, star forward, freshman five star for for Memphis, one of their best players, uh, took took a picture this is after this was posted at 11:30 a.m. So after the cancellation, about an hour and a half after the cancellation, a congressman from the state of Tennessee named Steve Cohen uh, posts a picture with Amoni Bates in the lobby of a hotel and says, "Very disappointed the game didn't happen today. Here I am with Amoni Bates. What? I'm sorry. COVID protocols." And your star forward is out taking pictures with old people? Uh, huh? And then, since then. So that's like the full explanation of everything we figured out. Penny does his press conference. Um, and he says we, what was the exact words he used? We may have underestimated the amount of players oh, who were vaccinated. He, he said he said that he misspoke because misspoke, misspoke, misspoke. Sorry. Earlier this year, or earlier this season, he he said that he thinks maybe ninety percent of his players were vaccinated, which is a very specific number when you're talking about a uh, basketball roster. This isn't a college football roster where you've got a hundred and some players with walk-ons and all that. I mean, basketball, you got what 15, 16 with walk-ons, seventeen maybe when you when you put them all together. Uh, when you your non scholarship players, I mean ninety percent. I mean that's like okay, that's twelve players, thirteen players. I mean that's a very specific number. That's absurd. So I mean the thing is this: he knew he knew how many players were vaccinated. You you know this. Well, his you know, son's you know. on the team, right? I mean how it's like his team. He's gonna know everything about everything that happens on that this, team more than a normal head coach. This is the biggest. In the last two years, the biggest thing in the world. It has overridden, it has just overridden our lives at every single level and everywhere. And you think he knows how many kids are vaccinated on his team? Well, it's the whole thing. It, it literally dictates how you can op at this point with the things that are in, uh, in place. It dictates like the stuff you can do as a team. I think to a certain extent, especially when you travel to certain places, like Tennessee took a trip to New York City. And they're, it's, they're like locking you in your house if you're unvaccinated. Don't ever come out. We don't want to see your face ever again. And so, like, it makes a huge difference. And I, but so you found this note or saw it somewhere from a, a message board. There was a note from VolQuest reporter, right, about potentially some indiscretions here. Yeah. Right. Somebody with Memphis and these protocols. Right. Somebody, I saw somebody tweeted out a screenshot. I guess Rob Lewis, who okay. usually reports on basketball from uh, Vault West, he had tweeted or put a little note on their message board. And it said, it, it was just, a, I guess somebody had brought to his attention because through all this, nobody had really thought about this, that the Memphis played in the NIT season tip off tournament up there at the Barclays Center, which is in Brooklyn, where you're supposed to be vaccinated if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan and followed the Kyrie Irving drama. He hasn't played at all this season because he's not 
vaccinated, so he can't play in Brooklyn be- because of that. And he hasn't, I don't think he's practiced with the team or he's going to start practicing this week or something. But that's been a whole situation because of his vaccination status. So one of the biggest stars in the NBA has not played in Brooklyn in that arena because of his vaccination status. And Memphis played, and I'm the, I don't know who all played in that game, but I would assume it was their whole ro- normal roster. I don't remember any big to do about players being out. But they obviously took their their team up there and played in that, and I'm guessing that they probably had some unvaccinated players play in that game. And I'm I don't know how all that works for sure. All the guidelines in New York, I just know kind of based off the Kyrie Irving situation. But that does seem like maybe Penny was being a little dishonest just to get his team to play in that, and then you kind of have to go back on all that when this deal with the Tennessee game pops up and you got to say, Hey, you know, we had more unvaccinated players than we thought. So the Rob's, this is the exact quote from what Rob Lewis said from that screenshot. Did Memphis lie and play unvaccinated players against Virginia tech and Iowa state in an event held in the Barclays center in New York city? If so, will there be any fallout? seems like they did play some unvaccinated guys given Penny's admission that he perhaps, quote, misspoke about his team's vaccination status earlier this season, although that involves some speculation on my part, doesn't seem far-fetched. Um, I, I think at this point we could pretty much surmise that he did. I think the only benefit of the doubt that I could give him in this situation is that Penny is just very against the entire COVID protocols deal and just went, I don't care if you're vaccinated, we're going to do what we're going to do, and we're going to play. Well, I'd be willing to bet that a lot of coaches share that same. I think they do. View, uh, right or wrong, in I mean, whatever it is, however they feel, I, I'm sure everybody has their feelings on it. But I think most of those coaches also say, "This is what we got to do to play these games." I mean, it, there's no way around it. You know, they get to call the shots on this. We got to follow the guidelines. We got to do what we got to do to play. I mean, yeah, I again, I really try to avoid getting political at all on this show. But I can say that I, I personally, if that is the way that Penny feels, I would say that I I am the same. This is just wearing me out with NBA games getting canceled, NFL games getting canceled. Why is anyone, why did anyone, I, and I'm, I'm pro-vaccine, get the vaccine. If, if, you, if that is what you deem correct for you, uh, I, I believe that it does work. Uh, why are we doing this stuff still? If the why did we get the, the vaccine if we're still doing this stuff? So that's from my point of view, if that is the way that Penny feels, I sympathize because I watch this and I go, what are we? Come on. Yeah, just play. If you, if you feel well exactly. enough to play, play. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do we do? Why did any there? There are also they're young, young guys. Just come on. Just this is when are we going to just admit this isn't going away? Vaccines aren't going to take it away, even though they help. Come on. Absurd. And so, believe me, I sympathize. But just don't go out here and lie and do all this, this, you know, whatever he might have done, what it appears he may have done here. And, of course, this has prompted a lot of strong responses. All the Memphis fans, they love to talk about how Tennessee fans are racist in this scenario. We're not racist. Penny could be neon green skin color. And I he 
to me is stupid in this situation, no matter how you slice it. You know, that was a common talking point for Memphis fans. And so beyond all of that, again, that's a, that is as political as this show will ever get. But that is simply to just make the point with all of this that I don't really care how you feel about it. He These are shenanigans. It's shenanigans from Penny. Do I think that he was just flat out scared and didn't want to play Tennessee? No. But do I think that maybe the guys that contracted COVID were some of their best players and he was like, oh, crap, we got to shut this down or else we're going to get our butt kicked today? Maybe. I definitely think that's a possibility where you kind of go, okay, if we have to sit these certain guys, we're definitely going to get racked today. And, you know, then that's the way that it was because it came out in Memphis media, actually, after the fact that it was it was fully Memphis's call on this cancellation. Nobody told them to cancel this game. Uh, the I think the exact wording was something along the lines of we didn't feel we had enough players to play the game. Yeah. Um, and so this is Memphis's choice. How many players was it? What exactly happened? Why was this the case? I mean, you got to think about all of the lost money, the TV revenue, the money for the travels for the teams themselves. Rick, yeah, Rick Barnes said that t- it cost Tennessee $30,000 to travel. Because you got to think, it's not just a team. It's the whole, it's a lot that you got to take to play in a away game like that. He said it cost the school $30,000 is basically what they wasted just to drive everybody out there, play a scrimmage game, and go back to Knoxville. There has to be some accountability there. 30000 bucks, and then you add on all of the fans for Memphis and Tennessee. All of those fans spent gas money, especially right now, gas prices way up. Food prices way up. All these people eating out at restaurants, going out on the town. They spend all this money, and you just pull the rug out from under them. There has to be some accountability here. It's insane. And on that note, Rick Barnes gives his press conference. Today, let me just say, bless this man. I, I've given Rick uh, a hard time. And if, per se, the season goes south, I'm not going to stop doing that. But in moments like these... I truly treasure the fact that Rick Barnes is Tennessee's coach. Let's just play. This is about 90 seconds. Let's just play what he had to say about this situation today, today being Monday during his press conference. To this point forward about do you play the game or not? We were there to play the game. Okay. And, uh, but with that said, right now, SEC play is way too important for us going forward. Plus we have the number one, uh, net ranking team coming in here in two days, but uh, we're not going to risk scheduling a team we know that has many unvaccinated players. Uh, I mean, that would be irresponsible on our part. I mean, it could happen again. Burned approximately $30,000 from our budget that, uh, and, but to me, obviously we don't want to do that, but the, the worst part of that is our fans. And I feel as bad as I feel for our players, I feel worse for our fans. You know, we've got, of our players at 15 are all there. We have uh, one walk-on not vaccinated, one uh, scholarship player being redshirted not. And so with that said, you know, we're going to play because we know in the SEC, you either play or you, or you, or you forfeit. And uh, I can only tell you this, if we would have had four guys that were not able to play in that situation, if we've got seven guys, we would get somebody out of the student body. We had to. Because I think it's I think it's the right thing to do for fans. I think it's the right thing to do, keeping it where it was, and and uh, 
Oh no. Oh my. Let's, let's hope that's water. <laughs> Who do we, are we sure we know who's in the building? You're putting a blue can there. Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, at the, at the end, that was just part uh, of this clip. Something fell out of the ceiling and uh, <laughs> it was some nonsense. But Rick, just, we just, we can't take that risk of playing a team that has that many unvaccinated players. We got to worry about. Obviously, Not Arizona coming in. Arizona, to me, one maybe the best team in America right now in the way that they're playing, coming in on Wednesday. Huge game there. Uh, but just this he whole... He some th- subtle shade in there for sure. <laughs> the, like in the, the SEC, you play or you forfeit. The dismissiveness of this is so great. I oh, yeah. <laughs> love it so much. Where he just... I mean, we all know what he's saying here. It's you so know. rare in life that you're in one of those situations where everybody, I mean, if you take the Memphis fans out of the equation, everybody knows that you're in the right. I mean, literally, just like almost every single person that, that keeps up with college basketball is going to be on Rick Barnes' side. He can say whatever he wants, and he's going to be right. It's a good, it's a nice feeling to be in that situation where you can just kind of pour it on a little bit, especially with it being Memphis and such a you know, intense rivalry in the way, and there's nothing Penny can say. There's really the the no. more he says, the worse it gets. Yeah, because like, like, did you hear his uh his comment about how long the players are at the party? The no. Mat- <laughs> you, oh, you missed. Somebody asked him about the players being at the party, and he said, uh, "Yeah, they just stopped by. They were there for a max of seven minutes." Again. I equated this on Twitter to being like a as somebody that's that's had some drinks at dinner that they're they're inebriated they get pulled over for a DUI and the police officer asked them how much they've had to drink and they they say oh I've had two I've had two drinks before they fail their field sobriety test that's I, I that, only had I had one drink I only yeah. had one, one drink seven minutes max <laughs> again oddly specific <laughs> that's absurd I mean he he also said let's see this. This was reporting on Penny's press conference. He said Penny reiterates his desire to reschedule the UT game, says he'd even be willing to play on back-to-back days or play two games in three days. Quote, I think we need to find a way to get it done. We want the Tennessee game. That's what the fans deserve. Then you should have played the day the game was scheduled and not been stupid. Thank you, Penny. Thank you for your input. Go ahead, you know, move along now. I, this, I mean, it's even a situation where, like, you know, if, if you find out on Thursday or even Friday that, that Memphis has this, because, look, a lot of teams are going through it. Uh, games are being canceled again. We're seeing that again. No matter how you feel about it, it is what it is. If this would have been a situation where Memphis comes up on Thursday or Friday and says, you know, we, we can't play this game, it, maybe in that scenario you're saying, okay, we'll find a way to get it done. But just the way that it happened, the, the day of, there's there's literally nothing for Tennessee to gain from playing this game. They have nothing, nothing to gain. So there's this, no benefit to rescheduling it for Tennessee. Why would you? The only thing that can really come of this, Tennessee either gets a decent win over a middling mid-major team. That's what Tennessee gets out of it at most. Mm-hmm. Obviously, no matter what sporting event Tennessee plays in, you're going to get the TV revenue. You're going to you're going to sell the merch. You're going to sell tickets. You're going to do all of these things because that's Tennessee fans. Unbelievably loyal, huge number of fans. That that just comes with the equation. Uh, 
And so Tennessee's always going to get that benefit. And then when it comes to the actual basketball game, this isn't that good of a win. Memphis, unranked, doing nothing this season so far. They had one sort of freak win over Alabama and then some really bad losses to not very good teams. And so Tennessee doesn't really get much out of it outside of just the value of the game. And then really Memphis just comes in and just leeches. Their mm-hmm. fan base, not as big, by just by default, sort of. Not as, you know, they're... They're just Memphis only compared to the entire state of Tennessee for UT. And they just sort of come in, leech TV revenue, leech ticket sales, uh, and don't they, they don't bring on the other side of the equation. But what they do get out of it if they win this game is really nice, uh, a really nice look on the recruiting trail. You know, because obviously Tennessee wants to go into Memphis and get players out of Memphis. Kennedy Chandler, Tennessee's really best player this season, is from Memphis. Uh, and Rick went in there and got him, and and did it? Did it? Chandler say when he when he committed, he kind of said, "I'm staying home," you know, to play for Tennessee, which is kind <laughs> maybe. of maybe it's kind of funny because he's from Memphis. Yeah, I mean, good that that's the way that as far as hopefully Tennessee can go in to Memphis, and that's the feeling there. I don't know, um, but. That's like Memphis gets way more out of that game than Tennessee will ever get. So as far as I'm concerned, I want this rivalry to be a thing. I love it. Cross cross state and just fun, fun back and forth. But if this is going to be the baggage that comes along with it, get out of here. I hope Tennessee never picks up the phone again. Is as long as this is going to be what comes with it, is this absolute nonsense? Get out of here. If you think that we're going to do something charitable for you, which is at the end of the day what Tennessee is doing here, we're going to do something charitable for you and play this game. Then, and you're going to bring in, you know, obviously talk, talk garbage about the coach, say all this stuff, balled up fists and all the things. And now you're going to pull this garbage. Get out of here. No, that's not how this works. I saw somebody compare Penny Hardaway to like an AAU coach, and that is the perfect description. I mean, that is exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It is what I mean. It is without his connection to playing for Memphis, there's no way he has this job. I mean, he's just in so far over his head. It feels like I I don't see any way that he's going to be the guy on the other line picking up the phone when Tennessee calls to schedule a game for very much longer. It's 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 especially if this. Especially if this Barclays stuff turns into something, because if, if if it turns out that they lied about taking unvaccinated players, that that's something that could get ugly real fast. I mean, we saw how ugly it got with Antonio Brown in the NFL and his fake vaccine card got suspended, and it was a, a big deal uh, just for a player. As a coach, I think it's a little worse, especially in college. Yeah, I, the the way that I have characterized it, it's just amateur hour. Like that's mm-hmm. it. It's. It, for sure. It's a, a full blown, it's a big boy program and and it's the amateurs over there where they just get get real get with it. What are you doing? This unprofessional and ridiculous. Like that's that's it. I you know, I wanna characterize it some other way because again, I would love if this could be conducted in a professional way, I would love to have this rivalry. Uh because it has always sort of been this way, though, because you had with Passner too. He was always kind of running from it, even though he he won that game uh, back then. Um, it's it's just always it's almost like you just can't play this. It has to come with some sort of nonsense. 
But I mean, isn't that what make, kind of makes it great, though? I mean, we were kind yeah, of talking, that's about, true. talking yeah. about this before the show where this happened this weekend. And it's such a this game is such this game that didn't even happen is such a bigger story now because it didn't happen. And because of what went down, then, you know, if the game gets played, it's a story, but it's nowhere near this level. I think this is just at, imagine the next time these two teams play uh, if and when, wherever, whenever that happens. It's going to be a massive story because of what happened on Saturday with this game being canceled. And then you throw in the, the comments about Jordan Bone a couple of years ago with, with the balled up fist and all that. It, the hype around it will be insane. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it can get back around to it. I mean, the, the sort of the funny thing out of all of this, if you're talking about the reaction from Memphis fans and media specifically, is that they already they are not feeling Penny. Right now, I, I guess after after that Alabama win, they were like, OK, all right, that's good. But also you had lost to Georgia. You had lost to Ole Miss. You had I uh, the worst of it. The they lost to a literal like uh, just another mid-major, but really bad game right before that Alabama game. They had lost four games in a row. Um, And fans were like, let I saw literally like hashtag fire penny going around. It's not like they're super happy with him right now, even though the that Alabama win takes the sting off a little bit. But this just has to. If you're being totally honest with yourself as a Memphis fan right now, how do you not go, ugh, yet like just another thing to kind of put on the, I guess, the, the resume that Penny is building at this point? Just, I feel, I feel like we could sort of go in circles around this for forever but the bottom line is is this tennessee should not even pick up the phone for memphis right now you at least gotta let this whole thing like cool cool down off tennessee just doesn't have a slot even on the schedule anymore even if we wanted to reschedule if you look at it it just would never work so they can cry all they want to about oh you need to reschedule this is rick barnes no just stop stop it get with reality and just realize that this is ridiculous I think that's it. Anything else to, to add on that, Zach, before we uh, move on? No, I mean, pretty much said it all with Rick Barnes' comments today. It, there's no point in, in rescheduling it with, with the SEC play coming up especially. I mean, imagine playing Memphis. Some of your players end up, you know, testing positive or something. Then you, they got to sit out, you know, a key conference game. There's just, just yeah, don't, don't ask Memphis. It's not going to happen. Don't do it. And with that said, let's talk about what we probably thought we were going to be talking about for the majority of today's show, but it ended up becoming a secondary <laughs> subject. Early signing day, Tennessee uh, and Josh Heupel had early signing day this past Wednesday, just a couple of days after our last episode dropped, so we didn't get to address it. Uh, then Tennessee finishes, at least according to uh, 247 Sports, I believe 14th. They're fifteenth right now, 15th. but you know it kind of it's fluid. It's going to fluctuate. Yeah. Um. But they were as high as thirteenth at one point that day, I believe. Yes. Uh. And and around sixth in the SEC. Uh. Although around that fifteenth spot is a lot of SEC teams. Um. And you look at everything that happened. I walk away, generally speaking, happy. A little impressed, 
uh, because you had a couple of surprise signings. But also, I'm not going to just heap crazy praise on it. It's the 15th rate class in America, and this is Tennessee. Eventually, it has to become better than this if you want to truly compete in an elite level. But right now, I think you take into consideration everything that has happened with Tennessee, this the NCAA investigation that's still floating out there with Pruitt and everything that happened. And you go, this is pretty good. I think I would say this. Josh Heupel did a really good job so far with uh, with this signing class. No, I, I think I think he did a great job. Uh, I'm kind of where you're at. I'm not going to heap too much praise. I think this eliminates a lot of concerns that people had about Heupel and the the narrative that he couldn't recruit, which I, I really never understood that narrative. Because like we had Ramon Foster, former Tennessee volunteer, playing the NFL with the Pittsburgh Steelers, now host a, a morning show on one hundred four point five The Zone in Nashville. Ramon told us that he had he had met with Heupel and thought he was just a real easy to connect with guy that he would connect well with players just because of his playing days. Like he was just approachable, easy to talk to, easy to get along with, and that's kind of what you want in recruiting just a genuine relationship where it doesn't feel like a head coach kind of selling you on something. So I always felt like the foundation for Heupel to be able to recruit well was there just via his personality. And I think one reason we're kind of praising him a bit for this class is because of how low they were ranked just, what, a month or so ago. They were like in the 35th, 38th. So they made up a lot of ground over these last couple of weeks. For a first-year coach at Tennessee, this is his first real signing class because most of the class he inherited had already signed in, during the 2021 cycle. In that 15 to 20 range, that's pretty much where you expect to be. So I feel like he's doing uh, in recruiting what you should expect a Tennessee coach to do here. Yes, that that is well put. It is what is expected at Tennessee, where at a minimum you basically want it to feel like Tennessee just recruited itself like the brand still has that power. I think that showed itself here to some extent. And then I think it showed that you have a pretty good set of recruiters. I think primary among, primarily among them, Rodney Garner, because this the biggest surprise that you got in this signing class was uh, Ty, Tyree West. Highest rated recruit in the entire class was originally committed to Georgia. Then it, it essentially appeared that he was going to commit to Florida State. And then he ultimately chooses Tennessee defensive lineman. He's going to be one of Rodney Garner's guys. Huge pickup there that can hopefully build some nice momentum. Uh, takes a little bit of the sting off of uh, of a, a guy like Walter Nolan not choosing Tennessee, too. Uh, so you still got at least a couple of big recruits in this class. And so all... All of those things considered, again, yeah, is 15 incredible? No, but taking into consideration the full context of the situation, I really like this a lot. I think it's a good foundation, especially on, on the offensive side of the ball because you, uh, you ended up keeping Justin Williams. Auburn came really hard at him, running back. Uh, Auburn came really hard at him, and you were able to keep him. That's another big, uh, big one there. And I, I think you probably have a little bit of some some diamond in the rough choices at, at wide receiver and Taven Jackson at quarterback. So hopefully the future at quarterback 
all, all in all, I really like that. And I think that's going to be great in, in Hypel's system. So I'm, man, I like it. I, that's, I am definitely not inclined right now to say anything overly negative about what Hypel is doing. I don't think, why would you even do that at this point when there's so much positivity around the program? There's no point. Uh, but I, I think even beyond that, even if I wanted to say something negative, there's not that much negative to say. I don't think. No, there's really not. I mean, this is a this is a class that you're going to look back on in, in three years. It's going to remind you a little bit of Butch Jones 2013 class, I think, where you have guys like Jalen Reeves, Maven, and, and Cameron Sutton, guys that you weren't really that excited about on, on signing day, but then they end up being just really solid players uh, for the program, end up reaching the NFL. You'll probably see some of these guys that, that you haven't really given much thought down lower in the class. Maybe maybe uh, one of these wide receivers you were talking about, uh, Mar- Marcarius White, a wide re- three-star wide receiver from Alabama. Could see this guy, you know, 5'10", kind of speedy guy. Just ends up being somebody you don't really think about that kind of busts out of nowhere and ends up having a nice career at Tennessee. The other thing I think is really a great sign is that the top two signed players in the class are both uh, one's a defensive lineman. You mentioned Tyree West. The other's an offensive lineman, Addison Nichols, a four-star guy from the state of Georgia. Those are your two highest-rated players in the class. You know to win in the SEC, you got to be tough up front both sides of the ball. So it kind of shows that, that Tennessee understands that and they're really focusing in those areas. And, and that's a really nice addition, both of those guys. West, when was the last time that, that Tennessee got a guy like Tyree West on signing day that you, you didn't really – he wasn't somebody that was trending towards Tennessee at all. Uh, it just kind of popped up out of nowhere. I mean, that's what really I think made people so excited last week on signing day was when he signed because it wasn't one that Tennessee fans were kind of like already banking on that they were going to be disappointed if he went elsewhere. It really just popped out of nowhere. It's it's hard. To, maybe Drew Richmond was that was is he exactly that way? who I was thinking. And that's he was supposed to go Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, this ends up better than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Uh, I think it is great to see that they really four four offensive linemen commits. I believe four defensive linemen commits. Your like you said, your best two commits are in in the trenches. That's great because it does sort of speak to Heupel. Uh, I don't want to say admitting that sounds like he didn't know this before, but emphasizing that winning in the trenches is huge in the SEC, which is just. Objectively true across the board. Did did you hear his comment? I, I tweeted it this morning. I don't know if you saw it in my tweet or not, but he uh, Josh Hyper was on the Nation last night. Show that Austin Price and Chris Lowe do on Sunday uh-huh. nights. And Austin Price asked him a and probably the way I framed this tweet may seem like it was a slight against Austin Price, and it wasn't. I mean, he asked a question that I would have asked, and, and I think he asked something that we all think, especially as those of us that, that didn't play football like a high level or anything like that. Um, he asked Josh Heupel about recruiting. If he gets more excited for recruits on the defensive side of the ball or the offense side of the ball. And he said, I know you're an offensive coach. So here, I, I can, I can play it. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, there, yeah. Here it is right here. Okay. Um, so let me, this is from the nation with uh, Austin price from your, from your tweet. This is just the clip that you posted. Second. All right. Or do you get more excited about the defensive guys um, on the other side of the ball? 
I, I'm a head coach, Austin. I'm, I'm not an offensive coach, man. And, and uh, our, our defensive players know that, man. And uh, we're going to compete with both sides and, and, uh, and love on all of them. Um, I, I get excited about all the young men that we're going to get inside of our program. When we win a battle that goes down to an end, I'm excited about that. I don't care if that's a D lineman, a wideout, whatever it might be. <laughs> when you're adding great players and great people to your program, your entire coaching staff, myself included, take great pride in. That's interesting. I didn't yeah. see that. I didn't see that from you. That I mean, hmm. I think. I mean, I'm. I'm. I think we've all been guilty of thinking, okay, Josh Heupel, he's this offensive guru, and, and he has proved to be just that, but that he's kind of hands-off when it comes to defense. I mean, we've talked about that when he was looking for a defensive coordinator, how, yeah, whoever he hires is going to be the CEO of this defense, like the head coach of the defense, and uh, Heupel's going to be so invested in the offense. And I think what this shows is, one, Heupel does view this as a C, like himself as a CEO where he's overlooking the whole program. But more than that, I think it shows how much trust he has in the offensive staff that he hired, specifically Alex Golish and his quarterback's coach, uh, Joey Hosley. Because uh, those are the guys that are really running things for him. If he's overlooking the program more as a CEO then we realize then he's definitely trusting those guys to install his vision, which obviously they were very successful at doing based on uh, Tennessee's productivity this year. But yeah, that was a very interesting response. And uh, I don't know if Heupel took that as a slight that Austin said that, uh, that he was an offensive coach. It kind of almost seemed like it there, but I, I feel the same way as Austin Price did there, where that's definitely how I would view him. Surely not. I mean, his entire reputation is built on being an offensive guru. Yeah. Surely he doesn't right. take offense to that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. It did kind of sound that way. <laughs> um, I mean, you, I guess at a certain point with Hypel, you do just kind of want to shed that a little bit. Yeah. And go like, no, I am the head coach. Uh, I'm not just this breakneck offense that I've created, you know? So I, I get that, but I, I love that. Um, oh yeah, it's a great answer. Yeah, it's so good. And if he if he can really be that CEO guy, I think you just see that work so much more often in college football. For sure. Guys that meddle, I mean, that just causes so many problems. If you're Jeremy just Pruitt. your nose and oh man, Pruitt, Pruitt Butch did the same thing. I, mm-hmm. I think it, it even created problems when you had like an AD and Fulmer who was sticking mm-hmm. his nose and everything. He was showing up at practice trying to coach the offensive line and stuff, which is not allowed on one hand. But then beyond that is problematic, even if he does do it. And so uh, I, I like I like that a lot. That's good to hear. I mean, really, Hypo has nailed all we heard. I even I even spoke with a uh, UCF uh, a reporter that covers UCF down down in Orlando when Josh Hypo was hired, just to get a sense of who Hypo is as a person, kind of what we can expect. And I remember him telling me that Hypo says a lot without saying much at all. He doesn't really reveal much of his personality, which he doesn't reveal much during press conferences. But you know, not many coaches do, unless it's not even. Not even like Lane Kiffin or Mike Leach, who are known for these big personalities. They they kind of distract you with their their stories and rants and this and that. They don't reveal anything either. But I think we've seen a good amount of Heupel's personality. Just the way he's... He hasn't put himself out there like Butch Jones, who was on 
ESPN or SEC Network every chance he'd get to kind of sell the program. But the interviews that Heupel does give, he just seems natural. He uh, When he was talking about Leonard Little uh, and meeting him before the – for one of the the games earlier this year, it just seems so genuine and just like just like talking to somebody on a podcast, like it, it's just a conversation that he's having. He's not he's not giving these prepared remarks, and that's that's been just. I hate to use the word refreshing because I remember using it when Pruitt was hired, but it has been refreshing after the Pruitt era. I think a succinct way you could put it, relating it to Tennessee's past coaches, like Butch was a marketer and not really mm-hmm. a coach. Pruitt was a coach and not really a marketer, although he wasn't a great coach either. Although he he just had no idea how to deal with media, and he also was a terrible coach. Uh, and then I think Heupel it seem, seems to be pretty pretty good coach so far, and he's a pretty decent marketer. Like he he with those comments did did he say a lot? Was it a real sales pitch or anything like that? No, but I think it strikes a nice balance of just kind of a guy, a kid might want to go play for. I feel like a parent is going to hear that and go, I really like the sound of that to know that he's, you know, he's not going to, if if he's a defensive player, he's not going to forget my kids on the team. And, Mm -hmm. and he sounds like sort of a caring parent type. uh, And I, I, I just got the sense that I got the sense that we really know who Hypel is as a person, like based on hearing him talk, I can gauge his personality for the most part and he seems like a likable guy like he seems like somebody you'd want to hang out with and you'd have a good time with or you'd at least enjoy his company uh jeremy pruitt we got a sense of his personality it was just very hateful at at most times but with butch jones i remember one common thing through the four or five years that he was at tennessee i never ever got a read on who butch jones actually is as a person we never got that. And I remember talking to players on the team uh, in, in interviews. I remember like at media day trying to talk to players and be like, hey, give me a good Butch Jones story or what's what's Butch really like? And they never, it was always this very generic answer. Like they, they never really had anything to point to. It never felt like there was any part of him that was unique in any way. I don't know. Maybe that's how he is in general, like he doesn't have a true persona, but that was one thing that just, it really bothered me because I like to know who somebody is. I like to know what they're about, why they do the things they do. And I never got that with Butch. You know, I make a lot of jokes about how Nick Saban is just a robot cyborg who will outlive us all. And, you know, basically run college football for the rest of time and eternity. But in reality, like I've listened to him in interviews and I get why kids want to play for Nick Saban beyond, hey, come here and win a national championship. That can only take you so far. It's nice to get a ring. But if you show up and you hate your life for four years, yeah, that's not great either. And I, I do get the sense off of Saban as much as I hate giving him this. This is one of the reasons why he's great. You know, he adapts as a coach. It doesn't matter what you do. He will beat you at your own game. I mean, it just whatever it is, he's great as a coach. But then on a personal level, you can tell that he does actually care about the Mm -hmm. kids. And there is an actual connection with him there. 
Well, um, we've heard kids say, we've heard Alabama players talk. It, it reminds me of Bill Belichick. Saban and Belichick are similar in a lot of ways. Uh, it, it, oh, he's got this great sense of humor. You just don't see it because that's not what he shows. And we've heard the same thing about Belichick, too. Just this kind of dry, out of nowhere sense of humor. Like, they talk about that stuff. So, it's it's definitely there. You can see the the perfect, like, real moment. <laughs> For for Saban that I saw. It was after the SEC championship game. Somebody posted this on Twitter. He walked back into the tunnel and his wife was standing there. Terry. Miss Terry, as he always called. <laughs> yeah. And she's like going nuts. She's like, ah, Nick. And he cracks a genuine smile and hugged his wife. And I was like, this guy, damn it. Nick yeah. Saban's a loving father and husband, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Crap. You know, and you just see that he has actual humanity and like, I, I hate, I hate it while I also, I'm just like, frick, he's, that's why he's the best is like, he just, yeah. Some guys just have that. You can transition over to feeling that same way about Urban Meyer having no soul. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, that guy definitely doesn't. No, he is devoid of anything and everything as far as that goes, (laughs) but with that being said, like you can be that absolute hard ass guy and still have a human mm-hmm. side. Butch <laughs> wasn't good at all at the hard ass side, and he didn't have a human side <laughs> either. Uh, and I think with with Hypel, it just seems so far, unless he's just pulling the wool over our eyes, I, he does seem to have uh, a nice balance. He's obviously on the outside he has a softer shell than a guy like Saban for sure but that doesn't mean that you can't be a good football coach well I don't I don't think that Nick Saban now like let's say Nick Saban hasn't coached he he spent 15 years with the Dolphins alternate reality he spends 15 years with the Dolphins he he decides to come out to college he decides to come out to Alabama in 2021 and rebuild the program where Alabama was in like 2006 uh, under Shula. I, I don't think what Saban did in 2007 would work now based on having the transfer portal, no, having these NIL deals. Like I don't think he could build this same empire that he's built now. And that's also why I don't think Urban Meyer will be very successful if he comes back, if he gets offered a job. Because the way he lorded over players and held things against them, I, that's not going to work anymore. That's you, they'll just leave. I mean, they can leave whenever they want, and they can make money while doing it. So players are you kind of this is a whole other conversation. To have players yeah. are really gaining power right now, you, which is you, you awesome. have to have Hypel's approach. I think, and yeah. a lot of other coaches have that same approach too. It's not just Hypel; it's not unique to him. But you've got to kind of balance being the coach, being hard on them, and also creating an environment where they want to stay and be there. And that's a that's a tough thing to do. That's why I think we're going to see more coaches trying to jump to the NFL, more head coaches, more prominent head coaches making that jump because they're it's going to be tough to manage, especially if they don't put a time frame on the transfer portal stuff. I've, I've seen some people getting really cynical about the NIL name image likeness rules and players getting paid the way that they are so far. Obviously you saw the most extreme example yet. Deion Sanders prime pulled the number one recruit in America away from Florida state with reportedly, this is not like solidified in stone, but reportedly from different places, a huge NIL deal 
um, over a million dollars, supposedly again for the lawyers, you know, whatever <laughs> may be going on there. They, I, I think w- without a doubt, I don't think any kid is who's going to be the number one recruit in America. That kid is not going anywhere without some kind of money incentive because that's, that's the whole thing at this point. If you're one of those top players, I think it's cool that he's going to a historically black college. That's a whole different thing. Um, and, and obviously I think there's a lot of, of pull there because Deion Sanders too, but, uh, I, I just, it's a, it's a shift in everything that's happening in a really big way. And some coaches are going to just totally lose their grip on it at this point. We've already seen Lane Kiffin very strongly talking about it, uh, straight up saying, talking about free agency in college football and kind of surprised uh, by that. I thought he would embrace it fully. And it's, yeah, well, I think he's getting frustrated because they can leave whenever they want and they are going to go. I think he's lost some players probably due to getting more money elsewhere. And we've seen Dabo Sweeney, obviously, at Clemson. He's a hypocrite in his own right. He wants players to sit out a year before they transfer. Uh, but then you compare those statements to what Josh Heupel said this week, and he's more like, hey, it's what we got to deal with. It is what yeah. it is. There's Embrace good, it. there's bad, just like with anything. Uh, we just got to move forward with it. That, that, that's what I always say in this in this conversation. Is what's happening right now perfect? No, it's no. been a circus so far uh, with all of these NIL deals. Kids, I would say, kids getting way more money than than is at least the way more money than I would say the market should bear. Like it's a um, an well, unbalanced not- market. Yeah, it's definitely an unbalanced market, but it's not a NIL deal. It's a pay-to-play scheme. Yeah, come to our Masquerading school. Is money. Yeah, it's just like Cade Mays asking this week. I mean, he straight up said, I need third or fourth round money in an NIL deal to come back another year at Tennessee. Well, that's about $750,000 at minimum. The last pick and one of the last picks in the fourth round last year was an offensive lineman signed a contract worth 750 some odd thousand dollars for his first year. But that was always going to get paid as a rookie one year. Who, what company in Knoxville is going to pay Cade May $750,000 to post some pictures on Instagram and a couple of Instagram stories? How is that beneficial to any company? I mean, we all know what this is and that's fine. I mean, it's been happening. Let, let, let players make money. I mean, that's your, it's a business, and the the players on the field are the product. They should be able to make money however they can figure it out. I mean, go make yourself marketable and make some money. I mean, that's what capitalism is, right? Yeah, I, I think two two things need to happen right now. You need to continue down the road with this. There is no going back. That's You're never going to unroll this. It no. is exactly like you're saying. It's essentially a money laundering scheme right now. <laughs> Where you're just you're pushing money through NIL deal endorsement deals where kids are getting paid way more than an endorsement deal would actually be worth to that company ever. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the the only company that I saw this entire year that probably truly got their money out of the deal was the cookie company with Alante Taylor. That was brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Excellent marketing. Uh whoever came up with that on either end uh was great. Totally I'm certain got their money's worth out of that but largely you're not getting your money out of that um i mean a kid (laughs) like 
if if that report is true and this kid that's going to Jackson State actually got like a million, million and a half bucks or something like that, whoever paid that, generally speaking, unless it was like Barstool Sports who cashed in on all the promo off of that uh, because Deion Sanders is one of their employees and there's a huge conflict of interest conversation to be had there. You know, again, another thing that we're not here to unpack. But like somebody paying a million and a half dollars for a kid to go to a school that generally speaking, never plays on television, doesn't have a very big fan base, doesn't, you know, all these things like you're never getting your money back out of that. Uh, and and so we get do we get what's happening. And to me, that's OK. This had to happen. It's going to be painful for a minute. But what needs to happen is we need to continue down that road. Just embrace it. Just keep going. And we need to get to where essentially the NCAA is abolished. The NCAA has to go away. You have to have schools where they can just pay players to as employees, essentially. Like I, I went to the University of Tennessee and I got a scholarship and I was a GA when I went to Tennessee. And Tennessee paid me like a W-2 employee. That's what you have to do with football players, Okay. That I mean, more or less, that's not the perfect system, but it would be something like that. Like you just have to continue down that road, just embrace it. And then you have to create a more balanced market. I actually saw Shannon Terry at 247 Sports. He posted a video about how they're going to try to create kind of a database um, to create some market transparency to basically create an algorithm that will give a kid an idea for what an endorsement deal with him or her would be worth. Um, And I think that would be. So good. It's going to take time to get this ironed out. It's going to be ugly for a minute here. That was always going to be the case. Um, But when you can implement these things, like some market transparency would be huge. I really hope they do that um, and and get that going. And then you just have to embrace. There is no going back. You can try to be a troglodyte and complain about it like Kiffin is. But Kiffin recruited the number 25 class in America, so I'm not sure how much his approach is working right now. Um, Way behind Josh Heupel, and he just had a 10-win season and couldn't get above 25th. So I don't want to say that that is a direct causal link there, but I don't know. You just had a 10-win season. How do you not have a better recruiting class than number 25 in America? And come on, you're in the SEC West, and you're Lane Kiffin. How do you not have a better recruit recruiting class right now? So maybe it is that I don't know, but just, I, I know people, it makes people uncomfortable because it's a new thing and it seems really crazy and it is really crazy, but you just, at this point, we got to let it be what it is. I think. I think it's great that we get to hear head coaches just kind of straight up talking about players getting paid and the, just the, frustration that comes with it because it always has been a like you said an unbalanced market where you don't really know what a guy is going to get you don't know what any recruit is going to want how much they're worth what are we really willing to pay him uh how does that work as far as you know this guy's the number one recruit in the country he's getting this much money this guy's number 10 recruit in the country this school's offering him this much money it's always been kind of chaos and now we're getting to publicly see that chaos and that's it's always been this kind of in in the shadows type deal where you hear whispers and and you hear this and that but you never really know what what conversations truly happen so now we're getting to see that out in the open and as far as kiffin i'm not sure railing against the uh nil deals and and transfer rules publicly is going to be good for your (laughs) recruiting because 
recruit hears that and they're like, well, I'm not going to go to Ole Miss. They're not going to, they're not going to work anything out for me there. I'll head elsewhere. Uh, it does. I mean, with the Jackson State deal, where you, where they landed the the top recruit in the country, it does give it everyone the potential, I guess, to kind of level the playing field just a bit. Uh, I mean, it's not like Alabama boosters and Georgia boosters are the only people out there with money. I mean, every program's got very uh, wealthy boosters that can that can join the fight here if they want to. So the, the opportunity should be there for for most programs. Yeah, I, I think so, but it is. Some of these unbelievably inflated numbers, that is just not sustainable. I mean, you think, like you mentioned Cade there, wanting effectively, if this is what he's saying when he says third or fourth round money, around 750K, like, you have to think how small of a market there is for a company that would pay that. Tiny. Yeah. It, it is either an individual ultra rich booster where just they're just not going to feel that that much. That's one well, thing. But like... I, you don't want to let Cade set the market for an offensive lineman at $750,000 yeah, well, either. That's, crazy. I mean, that, that's a dangerous precedent to set there. Like, I mean, just you, you think that through. So like I'm, uh, before, before I did sports radio, I was an accountant. I have since gone back where my day job is in accounting. Again, I have seen through that. I have seen what people make. You're an accountant at a company <laughs> and there are CEOs, chief executive officers of fairly large companies that don't make anywhere close to $750,000. Like huge companies where the CEO makes half a million and, you know, hundreds of employees and they don't make $750,000 a year, much less for a single endorsement deal that isn't worth $750,000 at all to the company that's giving it out. And, you know, for a kid who, when he plays is injured a lot and you know there's there's a whole lot of conversation to be had there and like how what kind of social media reach does he have if you do an endorsement deal there's so many things to be talked about there but like that that doesn't make any sense when you think it through and i really really hope i think it's super smart by shannon terry if he does end up doing that again the guy is is it still 247 sports on three or something like that i don't know what they no, they're ch- they're 24 7 on threes uh like a newer recruiting service oh okay so maybe he's maybe shannon's moving think, on i yeah I yeah i think that's true yeah he did okay. i think he did yeah well, what, whatever, whoever he's with now, he's they're trying to implement that. He posted a video about it on Twitter if you want to go listen to it. But um, I hope that that happens because it just, just can't keep happening like this. And even now, even if you get that like this coming season, it's going to probably take a couple of years to iron out, but if not longer. But I, I think, yes, it's scary and not great right now but that's let's get to the other side of it and i think ultimately it'll it'll all work itself out it'll all come out in the wash it's so new now um and everybody's just feeling their way through it because i think you uh, like with transfers you're eventually going to get guys where they transfer to a place where they never wanted to transfer to and they look and they go "Mm, the grass was not greener i should have ever left and you're gonna get guys yeah there's no way that that hasn't already happened where guys show up and they're like, oh, I'm not getting the playing time I wanted. This coach isn't great. I should have just realized that my situation was good. And those guys will start talking. They'll start talking to each other and the market will set itself. It'll be okay. The, por- the portals made it really difficult uh, just just to build depth for a program because every, every player thinks that they should start year one <laughs> or year two right now and they don't get the playing time. 
and then they're they're going to hit the portal and go somewhere else. And it's going to be the same situation. You're always going to be competing. Somebody's always going to be trying to take your job. You're going to have to prove yourself every week. No job is, is really guaranteed. So now it, you lose all these players that you kind of second, third string guys that maybe you're counting on. That's why I said uh, yesterday, getting getting Navy Schuler to to transfer to Tennessee is so big because it's really hard to find a backup quarterback that's going to stick around. And Schuler, he, he's a former low rated three star guy. He's not somebody that you think is going to come in and, and play like his dad did at Tennessee. I mean, that's not the expectation. But we've quickly seen we've seen how quickly quarterback depth can just disappear. Uh, mm-hmm. for programs. I mean, LSU's in a situation where they might not even have a scholarship quarterback for their bowl game. I mean, they're trying to redshirt a guy. I think Miles Brennan has decided to come back, but he's not ready to play yet. Uh, they might have to play a walk-on. I mean, that's a – it's LSU. They should they should have no issues in that in that department. In Tennessee, you know, they were down to, to just Joe Milton at the end of the year as the only backup. So – You've got to have somebody there in case an injury happens, a transfer happens, and all of a sudden you you have nobody but your starter. And if they if they get hurt, what then? At least with Navy Shuler, you've got a quarterback who can come in and, and do some things. He's not going to run the offense the way like Hendon Hooker does, but he's better than a, than a normal walk-on, I'd say. Definitely. Well, could do – honestly, I could do an entire podcast series on that topic. I love <laughs> – as as an accountant by day, uh, I'm a huge dork about that type of stuff. So I we'll just end it there. I think. Uh, any parting thoughts, Zach? Uh, another great episode of the show in the books. How you, you feel? Think, uh, you think Tennessee's going to get these thirty points in the Music City Bowl, dude? I know we'll talk about it more next. I week, want but. these pancakes. If you've not been to the Pancake Pantry, been a been a few times. It is well worth your time. Very, very good stuff. And they they are literally paying me to say that, but I would have said that before. I swear to you. Oh, yeah. The reputation, Pancake Pantry, the Pancake Pantry has a great reputation. Uh, everybody kind of kind of knows that name. It's it's quite a brand that they built just, just based off pancakes. It's yeah, it's pretty incredible. Man, what a what a life that would be. I'm an accountant. I could have just been working at pancakes. What a mistake. All right. Yeah. But if you're in Nashville, go get, go get some pancakes uh, the day of the game and maybe get some free ones the day after the game if Tennessee scores more than 30 points. Oh, I'm on pins and needles. We'll see. Uh, again, full game live stream with myself and Jonathan Crompton. It's going to be awesome. You get to hear what Cromp says live, and you'll get to see me. If, if the game is close, uh, you'll get to see me lose my mind. Um, and go crazy over Tennessee sports. Um, so that'll be embarrassing. That'll be great. <laughs> I'm Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan at Charlie underscore Burris at Zach TNT on Twitter at A to Z sports on Twitter and Instagram A to Z or Facebook.com slash A to Z sports and A to Z sports.com for everything that Zach and I write. Thank you so much to everybody who tunes into this show to tuned into my show with Crompton we literally could not do this without you. You're too kind. Uh, and with all of that said, we'll talk to y'all next week. See you guys later. Yeah,